Well, hey, everybody, good to see you today. Welcome to The Crossing, and if you are new around here, I just want you to know that our doors are wide open to you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we would love for you to take that next step with us. Well, help me do a favor, and let's welcome our Southeast Campus, those watching online, our microsites. Let's welcome them. Glad you're part of The Crossing family and part of this journey with us. Um, as you heard before, we are in two weeks launching a brand new series called Open Doors. And maybe you're in a place in your life where you have a big decision going on and you don't know what to do. And you just prayed, God, just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you tell me because we just don't know. We're going to talk about how do we begin to discover God's will in our life? How do we know what doors God is opening and what doors God is closing in our life? And along with this series on the weekends, we're going to be doing this small group study that we want you to be a part of. So we want you to be engaged in the weekends, in a small group, invite a friend. This is going to be an incredible journey for us, and we will launch that in two weeks. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we've been calling Unleashed, and we've just been dreaming. What if God could unleash us as a church to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What could he do through us? And today we're wrapping up our 21 days of prayer. This has been a great journey for us, and it seems fitting that the governor of Texas has declared today as a day of prayer. And so as you're praying today, let's pray for the people in Houston. Let's pray for what's going on there and for just the church to show up and to meet needs. And today we're talking about unleashing community. Unleashing community. Now, today is Labor Day weekend, so this is the official end of summer, which is kind of sad unless you're the parent of a kid who's in school, and it's a pretty happy time for you because they're back in school, and, and uh, life is probably a little bit easier for you. But this summer, probably like you, I had the chance to get away for a couple trips. Darla and I went to the beach for about a week and had a great time, just the two of us. We uh, spent more time than we probably should have in the cabana and we went paddle boarding and ate dinner on the beach. And then we got away to Utah for a weekend. We borrowed a cabin from a family here at our church and took all of our kids, their significant others, eight of us, and we ate more food than we should have. We rented ATVs. We went boat riding. And my kids forced me to play some games with them. I don't know if you're like that. I'm not a big game guy, but they forced me to play. And it was the highlight of our summer because life is just better together. You have never heard of somebody who has won an all-expense-paid trip for one because trips are better together. Life is better together. It's the way that God designed us. Let me say it this way right here, is that you cannot achieve your personal and spiritual potential apart from community. You cannot be all that God has created you to be apart from community. And today, I'm going to show you in God's Word why. Why is it that we need one another to fulfill our, our greatest potential in Christ? Community is at the very essence of God, that God created you for relationships. We see from the very first verse of the Bible where it says, in the beginning, God, that God existed at the very beginning. And then we learn something very interesting about the identity of God. It says this in Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice there is no singular description here. 
God says, doesn't say let me make mankind in my image, in my likeness, because it is, it's this community relationship. Maybe you've never thought of this before, but from the very beginning of the Bible, we are learning something about the identity of God, that God's very identity is community. We see this in the Trinity, that God is a triune God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not complete without the Son and the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not complete without the Father and the Son. And the Son is not complete without the Father and the Spirit. That together they are relationship. Together they are community. Together they are perfect love. And the Bible says that we were made in the image of God. That you were hardwired by God to need relationship, to need community. The Bible records for us that when God was creating the world, after he had created the moon and the stars, he says, it is good. And then after he created the plants and the animals, he said, it is good. And then he made the first human being, Adam, and he said, it is very good. But it didn't take long for God to notice that there was something about his creation that was not good that God started to notice the loneliness in Adam's heart, the isolation in his soul. And in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. This word alone in the Hebrew is actually the word bad. It's ironic, isn't it? That God says this aloneness, it's not good. It is, it is not good. It's not who God created us to be. That God started to notice the aloneness in Adam's soul. And for the sake of ending his aloneness, for the sake of meeting that deep relationship need in his soul, he created another human being. Now, I know for some of you, the Bible does not hold much weight. Some of you are skeptical or some of you are early in your spiritual journey. And I want you to think about your own experience. Have your greatest moments in life, the times where you've experienced the most joy, happened when you're alone? Well, if you have two or three toddlers at home, the answer is yes, absolutely. If I can just get alone for just a few minutes, hide in the bathroom, you know, those are the best moments of my day. But think about it. The times where you've had the most joy in your life, the birth of a baby, the adoption that went through, a wedding. You know, being on a ball team where you won something big, it happened in community. It happened with other people. We see this in Jesus' life, where Jesus, who is, is God in the flesh, he chose 12 other people to be in this community with him. He, this, he, he chose these band of colorful characters, this motley crew who would become brothers together because they needed community. But he didn't just have 12 disciples. Jesus had three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. Because he knew that you cannot achieve your full spiritual and um, personal potential apart from community. Well, I want to show you a picture of the early church. It's out of Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a passage there. And many of you are familiar with this passage, but you may not have noticed something that made this community of early believers unique. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 42. And here's what it says. It says, They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give up to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice the last part of that, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was happening on a daily basis in this new community. This was happening on a daily basis. Maybe you grew up in a church where the only time anyone was saved is every few years one of the kids who had grown up in the church was finally baptized. Well, in the early church, this was a daily occurrence. This was happening every single day. Well, I'm going to share with you just a little behind the scenes of the crossing. Now, I usually don't, don't share with you just these, these areas that we talk about and spend time on, but I thought it'd be good for you just to look behind the curtain to get a glimpse of part of our strategy here at the church because I think it will help you. That here at the church, we call this the Great Commission Engine. Our leadership team does. Now, you know what the Great Commission is. This is where Jesus said, go into the world, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Well, we begin to look at, well, what is the engine that really makes that work? What is, what's the engine that made the early church truly unique? Well, there's three environments. There's three things that made this early church unique. It's what caused thousands of people to start to come to faith. The first was the temple courts, that this early church, that they met in the temple courts. And then it was missional outreach, that they were part of meeting people's needs and then house to house. Look, look at the scripture in Acts again. In Acts chapter 2, it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That you see these three environments that begin to bring thousands of people who wanted to come to community. This first environment is the temple court. Early in the church, the very first day of the church, 3,000 people came to faith. Within just a few weeks, there was 5,000 people. They would meet together in the temple courts. There would be thousands of them that would meet together. I've actually been there. That it is big. It's in Jerusalem there where the temple is. And so they would all come together and they would pray together and they would worship together. They would encourage one another there in the temple courts. But then they had this idea of missional outreach. It says that they met the needs of anybody as they saw those needs. They sold possessions to meet those needs. Here's what you may not know about that early church. Is that when many of those people came to faith in Jesus, they lost their jobs and they lost their families. They would be fired from their jobs and their families would, would abandon them, would consider them dead. And so there was this early church that was destitute and the people got together and they sold their possessions. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, it says there was no needy person among them. Think about that. No needy person among them. And then they got together house to house. This is where maybe 10 or 20 of them got together and they would eat together. 
They would have communion together. They would encourage one another in each other's houses. It was these small gatherings of community that happened. And these three environments right here is what changed the world. These three environments right here is what caused thousands of people to come to faith into Jesus. And we begin to look at that and go, okay, what does that mean for us? Well, the early church had the temple courts where they had thousands coming together. For us, that's the weekend services. It's the weekend services where we have people come together and we meet here and our Southeast campus meets at Pinecrest Academy. And this right here is critical for God's plan in your life, what we're doing right here. That what we're doing right here, we pour our hearts and our souls into making an amazing environment so that God can speak to you when you come. The reason that we sing songs together, some of you don't understand that. You don't understand, you think, oh, I hate that part. I'm just going to stay outside. You know, I, I don't like that part. Let me tell you why we do that. It's an expression of gratitude. We have this expression of gratitude towards God for what God has done for us. And so we come together and collectively we worship God together. This environment is, so, is set up so you can invite a friend. And my hope is that you're sharing your faith with people who are in your life. And when the opportunity is right, you invite them to come. When you invite somebody here, what happens in this room has a completely different meaning to you. Because all of a sudden, it's not about you. It's about the person sitting next to you. So you begin to think of this completely different. Well, there's a shift that is actually happening all across the country. It started happening a few years ago. And we are seeing this accelerate, is that people are coming to church less and less. Now, I'm not talking about those who don't belong to church. I'm talking about the followers of Christ, who, that this has been a normal part of their life. Craig Groeschel is the pastor of Life Church. Life Church is the largest church in the United States right now. They did a study. I was at a conference with him this summer. They did a study to find out how often their people go to church. He said what they found out is their people only go to church once out of every six weeks on average. And I thought, that is amazing. I thought, at the crossing, we have to be so much better than that because we're the crossing. I mean, we have to be doing better. So when I got back this summer, I said, I want you to figure out how often our people are coming. And so we had a way of, of beginning to track attendance in our people. You want to know what we found out? Once a month that the average person at the crossing comes once a month. That means there's people who come more often, half come more often, half come less often than once a month. Listen, this isn't to, to beat you up about that. I, I know that we are busy people. You know, you've been, you know, you're traveling, you have work, you have kids' soccer games. My point is this, is that if your spiritual connection your only spiritual connection is coming to church and you only come eight to ten times a year. If that's your only spiritual connection, it's going to be difficult for you to grow in your faith. And for some of you, you may go, well, you know what? Eight to ten times a year is enough for me. Let me tell you, it's not enough for your kids. It's not enough to build that foundation of faith in our kids if we're only coming eight to ten times once a month. You know, it's just not enough. Look how the Hebrew writer writes this. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's part of what we do here. As we spur one another on, we encourage each other. Not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, that's the power of what happens in this setting right here is we get to come together and we get to worship together. We get to encourage one another. Here's my vision for the crossing. Let me tell you my vision is that we would be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural community that reflects the very heart of God. That's what my vision is for this place right here. It's the temple courts. And then the second thing they had, it was the missional outreach. They had missional outreach in that early church because they were meeting needs. They were selling possessions. So what does that look like for us? What that looks like for us is to give and serve and sacrifice. That this missional outreach for us is when we begin to give back, when we use our gifts to serve, to find a place for us to serve in the name of Jesus, and we sacrifice. That's when that begins to happen. We have seen this in a very tangible way this week. We have all been deeply moved by the devastating images coming out of Texas as a result of Hurricane Harvey. The loss, the damage, the thousands left homeless is just indescribable. Over 185,000 homes have either been damaged or destroyed. Take that in. 185,000 homes. Hurricane Harvey is now the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history. And rebuilding is not going to happen in weeks or even months. It is going to take years. But in the midst of the pain, we've seen humanity at its best. Rescuers doing what they've been trained to do over and over again, thousands of them. And it's been moving to watch volunteers, just neighbors, helping neighbors, bringing their boats and rafts and jet skis. I love this picture of this guy. This is what he has. So, you know, he's picking people up and he's rescuing them. It's, it's amazing. So many divisions just disappear in a time of crisis. There's so many good organizations on the ground that are doing so much to help. But let me tell you what the untold story of what's happening in Houston right now. This is the untold story. It's how local churches from near and far have responded immediately as the hands and feet of Jesus. I have a good friend by the name of Tim Liston. He is the pastor of a multi-site church in the Houston area. And they've been on the front lines of responding both short to both short and long-term needs to the people in Houston. The name of his church is New Hope Church. Isn't that a great name? Especially right here is what needs to come out of Houston. It's just this new hope that happens through Jesus. Well, we have been partnering with New Hope. And some of you are wondering, how can I respond? And you've been wondering, you know, not sure what you should do. Well, I want you to know you have already responded. Because of your faithful giving each week, we were able to immediately send $10,500 on your behalf to relief and rebuilding efforts at New Hope Church. And every dime is going to help those people. On Friday, New Hope had hundreds of volunteers show up. They just put out as the waters begin to recede in Houston. They had hundreds of volunteers who showed up on Friday and Saturday just to be part of the cleanup crew. But because us and other churches from around the country have given them, we were able to help supply them so that they could go and begin to clean up these houses, begin to go door to door to help people who are in hopeless situations. Because of your generosity, there's diapers and there's been water and food that's been given. And it's just been an immediate response as we've been able to do this. 
I sent out an all-church email on Tuesday talking about our response. And I included links to New Hope Church and another partner of ours on the ground, Convoy of Hope. We partner with them. Convoy of Hope brings semi-trucks into places like this. It's faith-based where they begin to help with the needs and dispense supplies to the thousands and tens of thousands of people who have need. And let me tell you, you have given thousands of dollars more to these two organizations. And you have sent thousands of dollars to the crossing for relief effort. And 100% of that money will go to the relief effort in Houston. And right now, we have men from the crossing who flew in yesterday to be part of the relief effort. That They are there right now representing you in the name of Jesus. You know, of course, we're going to keep monitoring the situation and we plan to do more in the future. But let me just say thank you Thank you, thank you for your ongoing generosity that enables us to respond in moments like this. This right here is why the church is the hope of the world. Because long after the news crews go home and long after the other relief agencies move on to the next crisis, the local church will still be on the ground reaching and meeting the needs of the people there for months and years to come. Here's why the church is, is the hope of the world. See, a lot of people go, well, I'm just not into organized religion. Well, let me tell you the other side of that. Because we're organized, we were able to meet those needs immediately. And because the church is the hope of the world, that no matter where anything happens around the world, we have churches that are on the ground in every city, every community, and almost every country in the world. So when something happens, we can immediately get assistance to them. We can immediately help them. And we can mobilize a distribution center and compassion efforts in a single day. Let me tell you, the church is the most powerful entity for relief and hope and compassion in the world. There's nothing like the church. There's nothing like the church. The power of that early church is what they did in the temple courts. This is our weekend services. And it's missional outreach to give and serve and sacrifice. And then the last one is house to house. We call this rich community. It's the, it's the chance to have rich community with one another. Community is God's plan to fully follow Jesus. That our greatest spiritual growth happens in community. I mean, don't you want to be a better man or a woman? A better dad or a mom, better husband or wife, better son or a daughter. I do. We all do. But our greatest spiritual growth happens when we're connected with other followers of Jesus who help form and stretch us and encourage and inspire us. Community always takes place in circles. See, what we're doing right here, it is critical. We're in rows. This is important. But full community happens in circles. And I can prove this to you. I'll bet you can't name the last five sermons that I've given. I can't. <laughs> but I'll bet you can name the last five people who have marked your life. The community happens in circles, not in rows. And intuitively, we all know this. If you've ever dated someone, you've probably gone to the movies together, and you sat in rows, and some good things can happen in rows. I mean, in rows is the first time you were able to put your move on with somebody right there in a row. So good things happen. But if a row is your only dating experience, you would have never fallen in love. 
When Darla and I went on our first date, we went to dinner and a movie. And Darla came and she picked me up at my house because I wasn't old enough to drive. So she came and picked me up. And, and then I took her to this swanky restaurant called China Bowl. And then after that, we went to this terrible Pink Panther movie afterwards, and we watched this movie. And let me tell you where the spark began to happen. It wasn't at the Pink Panther movie that was terrible. It wasn't there. It was at this restaurant as we had this styrofoam bowl full of chicken fried rice. I mean, it was at that moment right then that this spark began to happen. It was around the circle of a table because that's when that begins to happen. God's design to fully follow Jesus is in a circle. And at the crossing, community is found in small groups. And you may wonder, what happens in a group? Well, usually, groups here at the crossing, they begin with the lighting of incense. And then there's about 25 minutes worth of chanting. And then we put the biggest sinner in the middle, and we all lay hands on them. No, that's what some of you think. You think, oh, that's where all the weird stuff starts to come out. A small group is four or eight or 20 people who meet together in a circle. It might be in a home. It might be in a place where there's a shared activity. It might be, you know, in the back room of a restaurant. We have men's groups and women's groups. We have groups for married people and single people. We have groups where where the groups share a common interest. We have Bible study groups, and we have groups who go deeper in the weekend message. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in your faith journey, we have a group for you. That God uses people as a tool to bring transformation in our lives. That God created you for community. It's how he grows you and shapes you. And the reason why most people avoid circles is just fear. We fear that we won't belong. We come to a place like this and we look around and we think that everybody else has their life together and we know that we don't have our life together and we just think, well, I I just wouldn't fit in. Well, I've got good news for you. I want you to look around because in this room is a room full of screwed up people. Everybody here is screwed up. I'm screwed up. You're screwed up. We are all a tad dysfunctional in this room. But see, this is God's plan to fully follow Jesus. See, these are the environments that God gave us to change the world. But these environments right here, they are individually driven. Let me tell you what I mean by that. See, we can set up all of these other things, these environments for you to connect with God. We spend a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of effort setting up these environments. But until you take ownership for your own spiritual growth, it will not take you anywhere. We can set up all of this stuff, but it's up to you. You're the one who has to take the steps for spiritual growth in your life. You're the one who has to say, okay, God, it's time. It's time for me to start growing again. Listen, we cannot be the church that God called us to be until you're the person God has called you to be. But when you're that person, then we become this church that has incredible impact in our community and our world. You cannot achieve your full personal and spiritual potential apart from community. Well, I want to challenge three groups of people that are here today. First, I want to challenge those of you who are not in a circle. You're not in a small group. Maybe you never have been. 
I would say to you, like Home Depot says in their commercials, you can do it, we can help. You can do this. And we will help you take those next steps. This is why we have our group link event this next weekend is to get you into a group. It has never been easier to find the right group than now. Listen, this is not a lifelong commitment. Our study is seven weeks, and so if the people you're with are weird, then it's easy to move on afterwards. You can find another group. It's just seven-week commitment. That's all it is. Here's second group I want to challenge. I want to challenge those of you who are already in a group, and I hope that you reaffirm your commitment to be in community. But maybe God is leading some of you to host a study. We'll train you to be able to do this. For you to be able to host a group, maybe it's a group that's already in your life or a group that we can help you put together. We feel like some of you, that's your next step. Here's a third group. Is I want to challenge those of you who used to be in a group to get back in one. I'm with, I meet on a regular basis with some men here at the church. But Darla and I, we try to get into a group, but it's been a while since we've been in a couples group. And so for this fall study, we're jumping into a couples group. And we're going to do this together. And we want you to do that as well. Friends, we've got to move into circles if we want to unleash the power of community in our life. I want to pray. But here's what I want you to pray. It's just, God, just help me take this next step. You know what it is for you. What's the next step? God, we come to you and we thank you for showing us from the early church how powerful it can be. God, not only when we come together in environments like this, but God, when we are serving one another, this missional outreach that reaches to our world, brings hope to places like Houston, places that need your hand, and we can do that in the name of Jesus. And where we get together in circles and we share life with one another, there is something powerful that happens in those moments. So God, help us take that next step. Help us to know where you would have us to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.